Buenos dias. Wapaknaz. And our tribe online. C, as Matthew says. That's yes. <laughs> if, you, if you didn't know what C was, that's yes. Uh, hey, I, I want to I remind you next week, uh, man, we, we have been on uh, a Gran Aventura. Um, and next week uh, is really special to me. Um, my wife and I are, are going to be able to share with you uh, our Gran Aventura uh, de Peru. Uh, it was our great adventure of Peru. Um, and so we invite you to, to come back here. Even if you have kind of a shoddy experience today, you might actually have a great experience next week. But um, just kidding. Uh, but, but we also invite you to invite somebody. Uh, somebody that, that may not necessarily go to church. Uh, we're going to share some, some beautiful pictures, um, memorable people, and just the movement and activity of God uh, and His kingdom in and through the people of Peru and our missionaries um, over the last almost half century. And we just were, were privileged to, to witness it and see it. And so I invite you into, into that. And, and this week and this whole month, we're actually on a Gran Aventura along with our kids up in Pier 252. Our elementary kids um, from K through 5th grade, they're learning from the exact same texts that we are, and we're learning from the exact same texts they, that they are, and this month, they're actually on, on pace to memorize a particular scripture, Philippians 1.6, and I just want to bring that to your attention, because when we, when we minister to our kids upstairs, this isn't, this isn't, you know, child care, this isn't, you know, babysitting, this, this is truly discipling of our kids upstairs, and they're, they're learning that God began a good work in them. And that he will absolutely bring that to completion. And uh, he will carry it on until it's completed. And that will be when Christ returns. And so they're memorizing that scripture. And the bottom line for the entire month is what you do today can change the world around you. And quite frankly, I'd like to shift that around. Is what you do today can actually change lives around you. And so we're, we're going to embark on a Grand Aventura today. Um, and and I, I just encourage you to open up uh, your Bibles to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter, chapter 5. We're going to land there um, eventually. We're going to land there eventually. Um, <clears throat> and uh, there was a moment, you know, I, I, before we move on, I, I just want to pray. Is that all right? I mean, we're in church, right? Paul says pray continuously, so I just have this sense that, that we just need to pray. We need to pray. So just bow your heads and your heart for a moment, and, and Jesus, get me out of the way, please. And I ask that you speak directly to the hearts and minds of, of us, including myself. Those that are here, those that are listening online, really just ask that your spirit penetrate deep to our, our soul. And that today, we just relinquish doing church. That doing church is the former things. And we allow you 
to move us and empower us to be church. Go in the corners of our worlds and make an impact. And just really ask the Word of God actually really do a work in us today. Ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. I do want to preempt this morning. Um, today's a challenge. I'm going to challenge you to think. Um, I'm not going to spoon feed you, but I want to challenge you to think today. I want you to process some things. I want you to process your life. I want you to process where you are. And for those of you that have been a part of the church for uh, any amount of time, decades, I'm going to step on toes. You good with that? This is your opportunity to get up out of your pew and walk out the door if you want to. All right, good. We're all on the same page, aren't we? That's great. So let, let's go on our ground on the tour, the great adventure. As Jesus was walking with his, his disciples, his 12 disciples, Matthew, uh, Matthew and Peter and, and John, they came across a man that they seemed to be familiar with because the disciples asked Jesus a, a particular question. The man actually was blind. And for some reason, we assume that they know this man because they understood that this man had been blind since he was born. And the disciples asked Jesus, assuming that somebody had to sin for him to be in this state of blindness. Jesus, who sinned? Was it his parents or was it him? As if this man, when he was a baby in utero, had the mind and awareness to be lawless and rebellious against God. They're assuming that he could have. But they're also assuming that this man is deaf too. Because they're having this conversation right in front of the blind man. No, the blind man is very aware that they're talking about him. I, I kind of wonder if that's how when people walk into a church, not this one, but how when they walk into a church, church folk talk about church stuff while they're in there and they have no idea what they're talking about. But they're a part of the conversation. So, Jesus answers their question saying neither. Neither this man where are we at? Boom. Alright. There we go. Little sidestep there. Neither this man nor, nor his parents had sinned. And then Jesus really drops a couple weighty statements. One, that's a, a weighty statement of the work of God, but two, a personal identity statement of himself. He says, and he doesn't immediately address the guy's blindness because he actually, in fact, has to address the disciples' blindness and their lack of awareness of themselves. He says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. In other words, as long as we are here and our feet are on this earth and you have breath in your lungs, we must do the work of God. 
And then Jesus brings something of his identity to light. He actually reiterates something he says a few chapters before. He says, while I'm in the world, I am light of the world. His statement kind of evokes the story of the birth of the universe. When the world was formless and void and the Spirit was hovering over the darkness of the waters. Genesis chapter 1. And then God broke through with His voice. Let there be... Several months ago in April, my wife and I were in the Smoky Mountain National Park and I had my little chair and my feet were propped up on the rocks and I was reading a book and I was just listening to the sound of the waters and the sun coming through the trees was absolutely beautiful. And my mind began to wander. Like that never happens, right? My mind began to wander about this moment where God created the universe. And I, I, I told my wife, I said, I, I shared where my mind went to wander, and she said, you can't preach that. You can't teach that. I said, oh, okay. But I can share it. So I'm going to share it with you. Okay? I can't preach it, I can't teach it, but I'm going to share it. So as I'm propped up on the rocks with the water going and the, and, and the sunlight coming through, I, I was wondering a lot of things about creation. And I started asking questions of, well, what language did God speak when He spoke, let there be? And was that the same language that He had conversation with Adam? And then when Eve was created, was, was also that the same language that that he and Adam and Eve had and spoke, and was that the same language that Adam and Eve passed on to, to Cain and, and Abel and, and then their third son, Seth? And was that the language that everybody was talking and using as they were spread apart in, in, in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel? And, and then I got to thinking, man, when God created the universe, He, he actually created physics. In biology and the principles of mathematics and then that's where it hit I started to think about light and sound you know light and sound they have a speed right they have this thing in common in speed back at 9-11 for those of you that are, 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 were not born yet, 9-11 was a, 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 a time of immense trepidation and fear and worry. And it was that evening that my dad and my sister and I were in the basement of our house. And my dad was a ham radio operator. He still, he still has ham radio. And he was cued in on all this stuff going on. And it was about 5 or 5.30 in the evening when there was this... Boom! That happened. And then followed by another boom that happened. And my sister 
See, Xenia is, is located in, in proximity, very close proximity to Wright-Pat Air Force Base. And for those of you that don't know, Wright-Pat Air Force Base is a nuclear target. Okay? So, we would have been incinerated if, if that was a nuclear attack. We didn't know what was going on. And then my dad, he was a retired... Um, what was he? I don't know. I don't remember what my... He was an air traffic controller. That's what he was. <laughs> wow. He was a retired air traffic controller, and he said, no. That was the sonic boom of jets taking off from Wright Pat Air Force Base. See, for objects to break the sound barrier particularly jets, because those are one of the quickest objects that we have. For jets to break the sound barrier, there's a lot of variables that happen. Temperature and all types of ratios, but most have agreed for an object to break the sound barrier, the speed of sound, it, they have to get around 770 miles per hour. Light, on the other hand, doesn't have any variables whatsoever. In fact, light is not measured in meters per hour or miles per hour. In fact, light is measured, its speed is measured by meters or miles per second. And it's a consistent. When, when we think of Einstein's theory of special relativity, it's the C. E equals MC squared. It's a consistent. It's a constant. And in fact, the number is so huge that I couldn't memorize it. It says 299,798,458 meters per second. That's how fast light travels. And if, if you want to talk in American language, it's about 186,250. 82 miles per second. Now, the circumference of the earth is 24,901 miles. Doing the math, that's like 7.8 circumferences of the earth per second. That's how fast light travels. I didn't know all that. I actually had to look that up later out later after I got up from my chair in the river because my mind was going like crazy. And I wondered, God said, let there be light. I was like, is it possible? Is it possible that by the time that, G that God spoke, let there be light, that light was already had traveled to the furthest extent of the universe? Now, this is all theory, wonderment, amazement, and I was just kind of in awe of just God, right? But it comes to a point, and this is where I wanted to lead, because it brings us to some truth. Truth about God, truth about you, and some pragmatics about our life. Because Paul in his letter to the young Timothy, who actually wasn't like a teenager, he was probably in his, his 30s by this point, he said 
that God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, just in case you were wondering who I'm talking about, I'm just going to repeat who he is, right? Paul says he's alone, immortal, who lives in unapproachable light. Then, John. You know the John that, the one whom Jesus loved, who sat right next to Jesus at the table when they, they had the last supper. and John who saw Jesus crucified and literally saw the empty tomb and resurrected. John, in his letter, his first letter, he, he's talking about everything that he understood about Jesus and the message that he got from Jesus. And he, he says, this is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus. And I declare to you, God is light. And in him there is no darkness. Day one, creation. God said, let there be light. He literally created the first thing out of his essence, out of who he was. Five days later, on day six, at the culmination of his creation, And he said, let us make man in our likeness, in our image. And he created man. Humanity. He created humanity out of his essence. Day one and day six, it's all out of his essence. All out of who he was, who he is. Who and who he will always be. Matthew chapter 5, where you have your Bibles open. Jesus is with a crowd on a hillside or a mountain. There ain't too many mountains around there. The biggest mountain is Mount Hermon in the north. So, somewhere, Jesus is having this conversation with. A group of people, a crowd of people. These are the ostracized, the marginalized, the overlooked, the impoverished, the poor. Honestly, these are the people that the religious elite of the day wouldn't give them the time of day. And he begins to share the Beatitudes, what we call the Beatitudes, and then, then he looks this crowd in the eye. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. He explains that, you know, if salt loses its salt, saltiness, then how can it be made salty again? But then, then he says, you are the light of the world. Wait a second. God is light. And on day one, He created 
The first thing he created was light. And it was out of who he was. Jesus himself says, I'm the light of the world. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He says it twice in the Gospel of John. Paul says, God lives in unapproachable light. If you look in unapproachable light, you're blind. But then Jesus says, you, you are light of the world. We are His essence. Those who follow Christ are His essence. That is who we are. He defines us by His essence, not by our own. But then, we got to ask a couple questions. If Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, twice, and then He says to those that are following Him, those that are listening to His teachings, kind of like you, that you are light of the world. What's the condition of the world? It's darkness. That's the state of the world. Darkness is the state of the world. Just this past Thursday night, my wife had gone to bed and I was reading through my old poetry books and journals from back in the day. And uh, I heard what I thought was footsteps on our roof. I'm like, it can't be December yet. It's like, no, I'm out of my mind. And then I heard more footsteps. It's like, I, I know I heard something. So I go into our room. And I woke up my wife, and when she's in her sleepy stupor, she's, I call her drunk Amy because she has no idea what's going on. I said, did you hear anything on our roof? She's like, what? No. And she went back to sleep. I was like, I heard footsteps. I'm going to go check it out. So I get out on a fire escape, and I see a teenager down back behind our building and the building next to us. And I was like, hey, were you on our roof? Who, me? Like, no. And I saw this kid crouched by the, the other fire escape from our neighbors. And I was like, no, the dude over there. And then I saw like three teenagers coming off the other side of the roof. And they were all coming down the fire escape. I was like, what are you guys doing on the roof? Were you on my roof? Oh, uh, no. I was like, where do you live? My grandma lives over there. I'm like, you're not coming from your grandma's house. Seriously. So I was like, okay. So I went and got my flashlight. And got my shoes on. And I... I started climbing on the roof, just like they were. These roof walkers in the middle of the night. Because I wanted to check to see if there was any damage. Well, the following day, we're, we're having a conversation with our neighbors about the roof walkers in the middle of the night. And like, oh yeah, I couldn't believe it, couldn't believe it. And then, Amy and I began to share with our neighbors that, you know, in the past year, both of our cars at different times had been broken into. And their faces were like, what? Really? Like, yeah, really, behind town. The one and only night that we forgot to lock our cars. Hey, 
I mean, I literally watched the guy rifling through my car on camera. And they were amazed by the fact that our corner of our little world, that there was darkness in our little world. And then I said, well, were you aware that just a few weeks ago there was two drug overdoses over by the, the gaming place just up on the hill? Oh, yeah, really? If you ever go on a ride-along with any of our police department, if you have any conversations with our teachers, with our social workers, you will realize that our corner of our world is just as dark as downtown New York, L.A., Chicago. Dallas, Atlanta. We do not have a sleepy little town. Darkness does what darkness does in darkness because darkness doesn't believe that they will be found out. Now, if darkness is the state of the world and we are light of the world, may I ask a question? Well, thank you for giving me the permission. I'll take your silence as, as yes. If darkness is the state of the world, why as, you, as light are we so offended by the darkness? Mm. Told you I was going to step on some toes. If darkness is the state of the world, why in the world are we so offended by the darkness? What we ought to be offended by is the lack of our insufficient illumination of the darkness. The fact that we are not penetrating that darkness with our light. We ought to be heavy-hearted and living our life with such an urgency that our light may penetrate that dark world that we're so offended by. So, I'm appreciative that you did not get up right there, too. Check your toes and see how many you got left. I know I don't have very many either. As Jesus said to his disciples in the presence of the man born blind, as long as it is day, you must do the work of the one who sent you. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Do you know Jesus isn't in the world anymore? You read the scriptures, it's very clear. Crucified, dead, buried. Three days later, he rose. Forty days, he was hanging out with his disciples, and he was seen all over. But on that 40th day, he didn't stay. He rose to the right hand of the Father. He ascended into the heavens. Ten days later, after ten days of prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit broke out into all humanity, entered flesh for the very first time. 
We are it. We are able. We are it, and we are able. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, mind you. That's why he said, you are the light of the world. It wasn't some teaching that was just brilliant in the moment. He was setting it up because he knew he was leaving. And we were going to be here. But he continues in his statement. He said, you're the light of the world. He uses a brilliant metaphor here. He said, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That doesn't make any sense. No. Instead, you put it on a stand. It gives light to everybody in the room, everybody in the house. It's two metaphors. City on a hill, lamp on a stand. Brilliant. He could have used many different types of metaphors, but he chose these two. Now, my niece, I always forget what she is, but she's a structural engineer. I always thought she was an architectural engineer. Texted my sister, can you remind me what she is again? Now I'm confused. She's a structural engineer. And being the fact that we've had several renovations in our store and the deck, and there was a, at one point there was a potential possibility of, of opening another store, which we're not doing anymore. I kind of understood the process of the design of a building. The owner talks to the architect. They have a conversation. The architect goes back to the desk, draws up what was in the owner's mind, the purpose of the building, the intent of the building, why you're building the building. And the architect comes back and says, hey, how's this look? Looks great. Let's do it. Structural designers, they make sure that everything is built to spec. Constructionists, they build it, and then all the little people go inside and have a wonderful time. So I asked my niece, I said, hey, I'm really curious. Can you give me kind of the philosophy of design? Like, can you boil it down and help me understand what the intent of the designer is? And I thought, man, my niece, she's like really heady. I thought she'd give me this brilliant thing. She only told me everything I already knew, which is not much. But then she said, and I loved it, they build it to make sure the building doesn't fall down. Brilliant! They build it so the building doesn't fall down. Wow, thank you, Captain Obvious. I, I had no clue. But even so, the intent of the architect flowing through their fingers, the lines, the buttresses, the colonnades, all to the spec, making sure the coating's there. There's an intent behind it all. And the blueprints that are laid out direct the rest of the people to make it happen. The two metaphors, city on a hill, and a lamp on a stand. They have one thing in common. The intent was to be seen. That's it. They were to be seen. They were to be seen so that other people can see. God's design is for you to shine. 
That's the bottom line. That is the bottom line of our life. God's design is for you to shine. We are built to be seen, not hidden, not in the corner, out in the open, right? Our design is to be seen, to shine. But how do we shine? Jesus takes the metaphor a little bit further. He said, in the same way, in the same way, let your good deeds shine before men. How do we shine? If that's our design, it's by our good deeds. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. Our good is to shine forth. It's not that people come to the city. No. Uh -uh. We've gotten this confused, misinterpreted. Now, if you're you, you've read the Sermon on the Mount. If you're, if you're schooled in the Sermon on the Mount, you might be screaming in your head at me right now, going, well, aren't we warned not to do our acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by men? You can stop screaming at me in your head because you're right. Jesus does warn us in like the next chapter. Hey, don't do your acts of righteousness to be seen by men. To be seen by people. Because if you do, that's your reward. If your intent in giving to the needy and fasting and prayer is to be seen by people, you've already gotten your reward. So which is it? Good deeds to be seen or righteous acts in secret? Why can't it be both? Why can't it be both? I think we've got a few things in the church confused over the years. I think that we've come to the conclusion that following God means that we just don't do evil. We just don't do darkness. And that's it. We've spent so much time on not doing evil, we've missed all the good that we were supposed to do. Now, it's great that we choose not to do the evil, but if we choose not to do evil, that's just less evil in the world being done, right? That's it. But it's choosing to do good. That's to be seen. Our good is to be seen. Now, I know many of us have questioned the will of God in our life. What's God's will for my life? What do I do with my life? And I, like you, have probably been frozen in my life because I didn't know what I was supposed to do. If you're wondering what God's will is for your life, God's will is for you to do good. which is in alignment with who He is. Because God is not only holy, and not, God is not only loving, and God is not only light, but God is good. Every good and pleasing and perfect gift comes from God. So when, 
when they see the good that you do, guess what happens? They see the good God. And eventually what will happen is, if you're not sure what I'm supposed to do with my life, and you're doing good and you're in alignment with God's character, you will eventually find out what to do with your life. See, unlike many of you, my first boss was not a red-headed clown who had some really creepy friends under golden arches. I, I, that wasn't my first job, Matthew. <clears throat> But my second boss was the creepy red-headed clown with the creepy friends who were living under the golden arches. The Hamburglar just freaked me out, man. It was just weird. But in that second job, working the grill, for the very first time I heard that infamous line that was drilled into me, agnosium, over and over, and it seeped into my greasy soul. They said, if you have time to lean, you have time to... Oh my goodness, you know it! You're brilliant people! Yes! Over and over and over again, if you have time to lean, and you have time to clean. Meaning, if you didn't have burgers, or bacon, or eggs, or sausage, or anything else to make on the grill if you didn't have sandwiches to make if you didn't have fillets or nuggets to drop you have time to not only clean but you have time to go grab another box of fries you have time to go ahead and resupply your meat you have time to pull out the grease trap and for the love of God don't spill it because now you'll have something greasy to do If you have time to lean, you have time to clean. Which means, don't ever do nothing. Right? Never do nothing. There's always something to do. For us, we always have something to do. And that something is good to do. We have good to do. Now, it's not to be seen, right? I've often said, it's kind of a, a personal motto for my life, I would rather be forgettable than memorable. However, I very rarely do I finish that sentence. I would rather be forgettable than memorable. So that Jesus can be both memorable and unforgettable. The good deeds that we do to be seen are not so that others may see us. The good deeds that we do to be seen are the, so that the invisible God might become visible to the darkness. So when you are gracious, when you speak life into people, when you encourage, when you forgive, when you give extravagantly or just simply, 
when you're generous, when you're loving, when you let others go first, when you're kind, people are actually seeing the invisible God. That light is going out. And our hope is that when they see the invisible God in our life, that they praise our Father in heaven who is unseen. And when we do these things that are in alignment of His character, when we're gracious and loving, we're actually moving at the speed of God. We're traveling at the speed of light. Getting to where the sounds of darkness are crying out. And their sounds are like groaning and despair and needing hope. So let's be travelers of light. Because that's who we are. We are the light of the world. So, let's do something good. You don't just do something good because it's a program in a church. Opportunities to do something good happen all the time. All the time. Wherever you are, there's an opportunity to do good. And they may see the Father of heaven light as it shines from you. Please stand. Bow your heads just a moment. If you're in this room or listening on this podcast and you feel like this conversation has been about you, you're right. It has been about you. Because the battle is not about the speed of light or the speed of sound. It's the battle between light and darkness. And you might, you yourself, today, in this moment, might have been illuminated for the very first time. That darkness has seeped into your soul and you have now seen a glimmer of the light of God and that there is hope in the world because of God, because of Jesus Christ who is the light of the world and the message of the gospel that Matthew clearly spoke earlier today and has been spoken today. And I, if that is you and you've been in darkness and you want to be a traveler of light, you want to be a warrior of light and a doer of good deeds that see the Father and that you want to hold on to hope because darkness cannot grip anything, then this is your moment and this is... This is the request of you is that you choose Jesus in this moment. That you choose Christ who 
gave his life, who died on the cross and bled for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day, that we may have the power of God in our life. If that's you, I, I ask that you just simply speak to the one who spoke light into the universe for the very first time out of his essence and you say, God, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I need you. I need you to forgive me and I need your life in my life because it's been so dark. I give you my life. that's you go ahead and have that conversation and if you're a warrior of light in this room I'd ask that you pray for that conversation and that person that's you, I'd ask you to raise your hand to acknowledge what God has done in your life in this moment. If you're listening online, I just ask that you contact us. Let us know what God has done in your life. For those of us that are warriors of light already, I ask that you speak to God and you ask Him to open your eyes right now. Open your eyes to the good that you can do. Not to the necessarily to the evil being done, but the good that you can do. Jesus, we call out to You. Our design is to shine we are built to be seen so that you, our Heavenly Father, might be seen in this world. Father, we ask that you forgive us for those opportunities that we have missed. We ask that you forgive us for focusing so much on not doing evil that we've missed those opportunities to do good. We ask that you forgive us for being frozen to being people of neutrality. Being frozen in our tracks and for fear that we would do the wrong thing. But Lord, we ask that You also move within our spirits and our souls to open our eyes to the good that we can do in every area and aspect of our life wherever we are. And we do it in Jesus' name to bring the gospel and bring hope and truth to illuminate the darkness to, to spread through the universe to its farthest corners thank you for making us out of your essence God and thank you for charging us with the responsibility to carry that message of hope that message of light shake us and awaken us. 
Help us meet the human need before us. Help us just do good. Something good. Because it all points to the Father who is good. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Can we just praise God for just a moment? Just give Him praise, man. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please, please, please love your neighbor as yourself. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Wapaknas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you. And that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.